Well, good morning, Common Gooders. Happy December 9th. Welcome back to the Common Good Podcast. Um, today, we're going to be chatting about a little news. And um, I'll tell you, Dan, uh, Doug here from Minneapolis, by the way. Cloudy, wintry day. Uh, Classic. Classic. It's it really is so, so much. So I'm going to go on a going to go on a bike ride today. I have one of those bikes you ride in the winter. Um, what makes it be... different than a regular bike? Is it like fat tire? Yeah, yeah. The tires, the tires, and for me, the th- uh, big gloves built into the handlebars. Oh, yeah. Their hands going. <laughs> one of those. Have you seen those things? You know? Yeah, looks like yeah. robot hands attached to the handlebars already. I mean, an idea that that when it finally came to flourish people are probably like what what took so long here do you, you build gloves <laughs> into the handlebars genius and uh, this is better than just wearing gloves yeah, uh yes so here's the thing right, uh, i didn't know we we're gonna talk about this but this is interesting when when you wear <laughs> these these things or they're built into your, your handlebars you often put maybe one of those little heater um chemical heater packs okay in yeah there. so then the whole area in there around your handlebars and your grips get uh, warm, so you don't have to wear gloves. Or you can wear very thin gloves. Gotcha. Then grabbing the brakes, moving the shifters, uh-huh. holding the handlebars, so that if you're like for little people that ride much more aggressively than I do, off-roading and through the mountains or trails or so on, sometimes if you have a pair of gloves on, you know your hands can slip in those gloves, and so that's the idea: is that you'd have your hands free. Gotcha. Um, okay. And then if you need to pull your hands out to do something else, touch your phone, you're not just taking your gloves out, you're just pulling your hands out. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, it's really a genius, genius invention <laughs> and idea. So, and uh, and then, you know, I don't know, I have a fat tire bike, so it's designed to um, sit in a certain way, sit up and let you sort of ride like you're riding off road. So, yeah, I'm going anyway, to go some out. snow if or the, whatever. I, I live in a place, as you do, that are, gets so cold um, the water in lakes and ponds freeze. I know you live on a large lake, uh, you know, like Michigan that never fully freezes over, but I live by yeah. these lakes. You know, that might be a three-mile trip around the lake and the lake will freeze solid enough. You can drive cars on them. Yeah. People can believe this. And uh, so anyway, I'll ride my bike out in the middle of the lake, these big grippy tires and stuff. So it's kind of it's, it's kind of yeah. water flash. It's a, it's a winter sport. Anyway, uh, so that's what we're doing. You're you're in Michigan. Uh, but we're going to uh, a little news roundup. I just got all dreamy. Did you see that? I just, just drifted thinking away. Thinking about, about yeah, <laughs> riding through the like, snow on that fat tire bike. Because I'll tell you, I know I was done talking about this for a minute until I realized I, I wasn't. Um, you get out in the middle of a lake like that, and it's quiet in a way that yeah. is just really something. And um, you know, you can walk out in the middle of a lake too, but often the snow is real deep, and it takes you a while to get out there. Mm-hmm. On a bike, it just zips, you know, sort of zip your way right out there. So that's fun. So that's the goodness of the world. Uh, on you know, a couple of good news stories. A few others we're going to talk about, but our, our bulk of our time this morning was going to be talking about Mike Pence, who did an interview with David Axelrod on David Axelrod's podcast as a part of the University of Chicago Political um, uh, Center for Politics. Uh, and Mike Pence was a guest there. Uh, and so he and David Axelrod have this hour long live conversation and we're going to take a segment of it and talk about it. It explains so much about why people like Mike Pence, especially religious people like Mike Pence, as he raises mm-hmm. a number of times in the interview, um, support Trump the way they do and supported Trump the way they did. And uh, it's real confessions from the guy. Now, I think he's, as always, this is always the case with with all of us. We try to find a way to make ourselves the hero in the story and never the villain. Occasionally the victim in the 
you know, hero, villain, victim narratives. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, uh, you just see it clear as a bell with Mike Pence here, how he's like, well, this is how I was doing the right thing by my supporting uh, Donald Trump in all the ways. And then why it was also heroic for him to then, to then break from it. So, you know, in the end, he's always pitched as the the good guy, which is not a particular dig only on Mike Pence. We, we all do this. You know, we all have a way that yeah, everyone thinks they're the good on. guy in the story. Yeah. But the mental and, gymnastics he goes through to do this are pretty stunning, as we'll get into. <laughs> it's just, just dreamy. So, uh, you know, if you're not a fan of listening to Mike Pence's voice, you're going to hear it for about two and a half minutes um, in this in this little bit. So that that's coming your warning in, in yeah. a few minutes. <laughs> that's right. Get you, prepare yourself. Um, Remove the children from had, the room. He has a particular style too that is really I don't know. It is. Um, off-putting to my sensibilities. I, I don't have anything <laughs> against the man personally. You know, uh, he's the light of the world, the beloved child of God, the hope of the earth. But not every light of the world should have been the vice president, and uh, he's one of those. So I don't really take it against him personally. But he does have an affect that. Woo, uh, yeah. Anyway, well, hey, before we get into that and uh, elevate our heart rates, uh, some God, good news. Brittany Griner lands in San Antonio after released from Russian prison. It's been ten or eleven months that she's spent as a political prisoner of Russia. And uh, now she's she's free and she's home. I mean, it's really, really something. First of all, it reminded me when I, did you see the news coverage of the the actual exchange that happened on the tarmac? No. Did, did you see that? Okay, so they have this footage of when the uh, person in the U.S. was releasing, this arms dealer, walks off of one airplane with two people by his side and Brittany Griner is walking with two people next to her and they walk next to each other. They stop. There's an exchange of envelopes and then they go two different directions. It's just, you should so totally weird. watch it. What's in it the envelopes? So Soviet era. <laughs> wow. and, and also you realize, oh, when they do a prisoner swap, they're still not sure this thing is going to happen yeah. until they walk past each other and get in you know, the two different airplanes sitting on this tarmac. I think they were in, in Abu Dhabi or someplace mm -hmm. um, where this, where the, you know, some neutral ground uh, where, where this swap was going to take place. And it's still just so old school. And, and apparently Brittany Griner, I also saw, I saw this this morning when she was on the airplane. Now, I don't know if it was before the swap or after the swap, but when she's going there to or from Abu Dhabi, she didn't know she was being released. Really? There's a Russian... Uh, at least a person with, a, with what seems to me to be a Russian accent, interviewing her and saying, do you, do you know what's happening? She says, no, I, I don't know. I said, do you, do you know where you're going? No, no. Well, you're going home. Oh. <laughs> like, wow. She has no idea. It, it is, the, the so much of the riveting narrative of, of this release is just um, heartwarming, makes you feel great. Her wife yesterday at the White House was just so incredibly compelling and composed and articulate about her feelings. It, she's just an incredible communicator. Did you see that clip? I yeah. Mean, that, this she's is a great. movie in the making. Yeah. You know, Billy Ray, hop on this oh, one. Totally. My so really makes you feel great. And then it makes you think we're still just like keeping people in prisons in two different countries and then having negotiations yeah. and swapping people just couldn't be more throwback. Like Cold War. Yeah. Yes. It's mm -hmm. wild. 
And and people are being kept all over. Now I know you know the person that was in the U, in U.S. custody. He was uh, tried and convicted of a crime here in the U, in the U.S. As was Brittany Griner in in Russia. So I tend to trust our uh, judicial system more than theirs. Uh, you know, but so he was a you know just a, a held prisoner here, um, and now he's now now he's set set free. And uh, the fact that this still goes on, you know, that um, I, I guess technically they're not kidnappings, you know, because the person <laughs> was arrested by a government official as opposed to a, some other group of people that yeah. would kidnap someone. But, you know, hostage, like hostage-like environments, just, just, just something else, but so mm -hmm. good. So good that she's home. And, yeah. and apparently this morning even got into San Antonio, like apparently a long day. Um, Having to, you know, all the stuff happened, leaving Russia yesterday and going to Abu Dhabi and then getting to San Antonio. Yeah, wow. I don't know why San Antonio, maybe there's a military base there where they have to do some. Yeah, who knows? Some debriefing kind of or. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just something else. And then, of course, you know, the, 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 the Trumpist wing of the country just can't let this be a good thing. You know, they're just out there yeah. saying, you know, why, why was, why was this woman let free? Um, and the other person being held in Russia, this Paul Whelan, not let free. Um, mm -hmm. I saw a tweet yesterday, uh, which I, I, I just shouldn't do it, but I went on Twitter. And <laughs> one of the, uh, somebody was saying like, of course, this is what the Biden administration does. You know, a woman who wouldn't stand for the national anthem uh, is basketball player is let free. But the former Marine being held in Russia is still there. You know, turning it into that argument, yeah. and the and the, another person re responded to that as people can do on Twitter and said, "Yeah, you know, Brittany Griner, uh, you know, athlete, representative of the United States, Olympian, and didn't stand for the national anthem. Paul Whelan dishonorably discharged Marine for a charge with larceny and bribery." Which I didn't know. Did you know this? That the yeah, Paul Whelan guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it's a little okay. fuzzier than. Yeah, yeah technically marine, but moved also, to the United States, not not born here, but dishonorably discharged for yeah. trying to steal ten thousand dollars during the uh, you know his deployment in Iraq, as the uh, like the guy in charge of the supplies. So you know. Uh, but that's and not also, really the point, I think, right? The point is supposed to be, you know, any American that's being held and yeah. we'll deal with them on, on, our, on our own lands. But these folks just keep bringing it up, you know, that yeah. somehow they've got to turn this into something other than a good story. And I would think most military people would say, no, let's get the civilians out before we get the people that signed up to be in harm's way. Yeah, well, look, and Paul and Paul Whelan was was yeah, discharged, he wasn't like, discharged from the Marines in two thousand eight. Guy hasn't been a Marine, you know. He was in right. for five years. He was a Marine for five years. <laughs> I think he came in through the through the National Guard. Like, let's not act like he was, you know, a military, you know, asset in you know yeah. doing work for the government. The guy was, you know, running his own business and you know just loving Russia and just in with. Turns out with FSB folks. So anyway, a totally different story and situation. Mm -hmm. and, and that's also, probably why, why uh, for two years Trump never worked yeah, hard. I was just going to say, why out. didn't Trump get him out? Yeah, uh, that's, that's probably why, because I'm sure they were just so so convinced, you know, that he's... Yeah. <laughs> of course not. not <laughs> hey, another not little bit of good news. There's a, there's a new bill that just passed through the Senate and the House, I believe. Yep. Uh, to support same-sex marriage, to codify it so that people who have been married for years, decades, their marriages are safe, 
They don't have to worry anymore. A number of Republicans signed on to this. Yep. I think 12 in the Senate and 20-something in the House. So, I mean, that's not as bipartisan as it should be, but uh, yes, it seems like a win. Yeah, boy, I mean, just a, a great thing. And not only a win for this particular issue, making sure that the kinds of marriages that we recognize in this country are supported by law, urgent, crucial. But it also fixes a bigger problem, which is that Congress, who's the lawmaking side of our government, right? You have an executive branch, which is the president, the the lawmaking side, which is the Senate and the Congress, and then the judiciary. These are the three components of our government. And you, each one has a particular role to play and they work, you know, in, in harmony with each other. Very often though, the lawmaking side, the legislators are letting the judicial side do its work. Mm -hmm. So instead of passing laws which they could have, like when they passed the Defense of Marriage Act, which was the counter side of this thing back in the 90s, instead of allowing, uh, instead of doing that with um, interracial marriage and people of the same sex marrying one another, they let the Supreme Court make a constitutional determination Mm-hmm. about it. Now, some people have thought that, well, if it's a constitutional determination, then it's more it's more uh, uh, protected, it's secure. stronger, yeah. yeah, more secure. Turns out, as we know, no, no, you swap out three justices and some, you know. Yeah, all the, of a sudden those, it's up for grabs. All of a sudden six people decide that this is not a constitutional right and it's gone as what's, mm-hmm. as what happened with, you know, a number of, a, a number of things. So it's, it's right that the legislative branch does its job. And what the legislative branch should do on other pending issues that we've pawned, that they've pawned off on the judiciary side is to pass laws about this. They could do it around uh, the codification of, of access to abortion. They could do it around uh, issues of, um, of uh, uh, um, participation in, in our society, which is now often being put off like the uh, 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 women's uh, suffrage issues that are still only kind of hanging around over there because the Supreme Court has said, yeah, you can't, um, you can't discriminate about who votes or who gets a job based on sex or, or uh, gender or anything else. And they could make those laws yeah. <laughs> and they should, and they should make them laws. So this is important, not only for this particular issue, but it's good to see people in the legislative branch realizing that they carry the weight on these important on these important social issues and mm-hmm. it's better to have elected officials making these determinations than as the conservatives are fond of saying unaccountable unelected judges <laughs> activist Remember judges that? yeah activist judges right <laughs> uh, so it's a it's a good thing and and there's and there's more work to be done and it's also just good as you say to see that you know uh a small number of people on the Republican side were willing to stand up and respect marriage. Yeah. Um, and, and, and a great phrasing for the, for the topic, by the way, uh, for, for the bill to call it the respect marriage act. Yeah. Like people have marriages and you want to take them away. I think you should respect marriage in this country. Yeah. Pretty, pretty smart way to, uh, to, to stress what's, what's, what's going on. And, and it's it interesting like, that this one happened so quickly, frankly. I mean, it, it yeah. really moved, moved without haste. Yeah. But it seems to reflect, uh, you know, change in society's opinions about this. I think the Pew 
research uh, came out with a poll and like 72% of Americans mm-hmm. support same-sex marriage. Yeah. And so for Republicans, it's sort of just playing catch up to what the American people already want. But there's still totally. this very loud minority within the Republican Party that holds a lot of sway. And I think yep. that's what kept so many people on the sidelines. And look, and, and it's I get it that people might have moral, religious uh, determinations about what the, how they think a society should be organized, you know, that would cause them to argue against people of the same uh, gender or sex marrying one another. Okay, well, that's that's fair, you know, and not everybody has to agree on everything. But the fact that it should be legal might not be the same as you think it's right or wrong. Yeah. Right. Now, look, I know a lot of people who think that divorces shouldn't happen. Like if you're married in a Catholic church, some of the same people who, because of their Catholic teaching, hold a hold are in opposition to same sex marriage. The Catholic church doesn't allow people to just be divorced. Yeah. Right. You, If you get divorced in the Catholic church, the Catholic church isn't going to accept it and recognize it. You'd have to have an annulment or something else. And there's all kinds of Catholic implications for for getting a divorce but they're not no one there is saying because my religion tells me that it's right or wrong the law needs to support it right this we've spent a lot of time talking about christian nationalism this Mm -hmm. is the kind of thing that helps somebody notice when it's being more christian nationalist or not right so someone can say hey i believe that my faith or my scripture tells me it should be like this that doesn't mean that's what the law of the united states should be it can be the rules for your for your own religious society, for your own religious group, but it doesn't have to be uh, demanded for all of us as the law of the land. And th- that's another place where this particular issue is instructive and should help us know how to think more complexly, uh, more complexly, <laughs> more, <laughs> well, think with more complexity about these issues that really matter uh, to, to, to a lot of people, yeah, right. Is when, when does your own opinion, when does your religious group's opinion become that which everyone else should have to hold to? Mm-hmm. And, and how is, how is that going to be, uh, how's that going to be negotiated? Yeah. I think it helps clarify for those who wish this were a Christian nation, whose version of Christianity, who gets to decide what part of right. your Christianity applies to everybody in society. I think this, uh, this points that out pretty clearly that, yeah, because you know, I'll say as a as a, a pastor for the last uh, thirty five years, uh, I'd be glad to explain to you uh, how Christianity then should be implemented in U- United States law. Should we get, should we get started early here? Because yeah. uh, there's you know, about two thousand verses about how we should treat the poor. And, yeah, 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 here we go. <laughs> uh, let's get started. Uh, so yeah, th- this is always the the, the downfall to somebody, as I heard Republicans. Congress people quoting scripture uh, in their opposition to this, um, like, okay, well, let's, so if your interpretation is one and mine is the other, one of us, our religious interpretation is going to have to be the official, official mm-hmm. version. So uh, I, I would like to humbly suggest that mine be that. How's that? How's that feel to you? Does that feel pretty good? You, <laughs> yeah. you happy there? Uh, or should I, you know, should, should I find my, uh, my, my, my fellow um, religious leader who's an imam in a, in, a Muslim, in a Muslim mosque? Would you like for him to come in and suggest to you how this should go? Uh, should I ask my rabbi to come over? Let's just, uh, let's, let's get started here. So, so this is where the struggle comes on these. And that's yeah. why it's good that lawmakers have passed laws and then people can disagree with the law. I mean, that's, that's the thing you do. 
And mm-hmm. and look, there there's no law in this country that is permanent, right? You swap out the lawmakers, people can change these laws anytime. I mean, they they passed it, they can reverse it, right? Yep. A, a law, it's it's not like, I don't know, it's not like carving, you know, faces of presidents into mountains where it's just not, you know, now it's now it's settled and there it is. Um they can undo it. It's it's very possible. So if that's what you're up to, if that's what you want to do, then 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 that's you know that's that's your that's your obligation and your right in this country to to get busy and try to try to have elected officials do something else. Um, so in some ways, look, I think the Republicans who stand against this should should speak up. I don't think they should be using their religion as their sole purpose uh, or their sole rationale for why they think mm-hmm. a law should or shouldn't be passed. It's sort of the heart of the Christian nationalist uh, approach and all. It's also interesting for Republicans who in almost every other sphere say we should get the government out of this decision-making <laughs> process. But in this one case, when it's uh, two people deciding what they should do with their lives, we want yeah. the government involved. Yeah, get the government off my back. Let's uh, <laughs> let's lighten up the 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 uh, all of the all the restrictions and uh, you know, yeah, look, that argument that what we need is less regulation. Well, hey, I'm I'm with you on that one. Let's talk about the border, should we? I think we should have a little less, a little less government reg- Let's go there, yeah. regulation on the border. Uh, yeah, uh, I think we should have you know more on guns and less on the border. And you think we should have less on guns and more on marriage? Okay, well, this is interesting. Let's That's let's keep a, yeah. the conversation keep the conversation going. But look, no nobody's hands are totally free on this, right? Like. W- Congratulations to the people who pushed this through. They should be patting themselves on the back. They should be they should be moving forward. Twelve years ago, there was no chance that bill would have passed. Yeah, right. So, okay, give people a minute, right? Like, if the Democratic Party and the portion of Republicans who could support this bill now are saying, "I could now support it," and I wouldn't have when Barack Obama was president. There was just no conceivable path for that to have happened, or I wouldn't have supported, or I didn't, mm-hmm. because they didn't. Right? <laughs> they, the the bill wasn't pushed forward. Other people might just be ten years down the road as well, and just because you've now gotten here into this place, give other people a minute. Yeah. Right. Like instead of saying, if anybody opposes this bill, it's because you are, and then you use a series of terms that that are derogatory about the person. Mm -hmm. That's fair if you're willing to say, and 12 years ago, when I wouldn't have supported this bill, I also was homophobic and used my religion to, like, go ahead and say all those things about yourself 12 years ago. Yeah. If you weren't willing to support this, because this, this is how progress happens and you have to give people a little bit of time to catch up to those things. You've caught up now, but it might take some other people uh, a bit longer. Mm-hmm. And especially on these issues that are that are fast turning in in the scope of, you know, society. Right. And you know, it's it's a it's a big deal. Uh we've we've talked a lot here about uh, same-sex marriage. We've talked here a lot about LGBTQ inclusion and rights because it matters and it's been a good thing. And you know, some people have been working on this for 25 years and some people for two and a half years. Right. So, yeah. And I think for some of us who are later to the party, like I grew up in a conservative world, many people uh, in the progressive space came from that world and have you know deconstructed and changed their minds and learned and all that. I think as long as we hold on to our newfound beliefs with a little bit of humility yeah. that like 
let's get off the high horse. We we were not always here. You That's know, right. So. Yeah, and it, and it and it took me a minute. You know, <laughs> it, it it took a little time. And why I think that's good news is you can just grant that same grace to someone else. And instead of saying you are in opposition about this important issue, you can say you're not there yet. Now, you don't have to say that to them because I mm-hmm. can feel pejorative if you do, you know, like, hey, you know, when you when you when you mature or whatever, you know, when you get to a place where I am, you'll understand the world the way people like me do. And, Once you see the world from up here. Yeah. <laughs> right? uh, but you can say to yourself, hey, this person just might need a little time. Mm-hmm. They just might need a little uh, a little bit of moment. Uh, and that, a little bit that's of moment. not to say we don't keep those people in positions of power. We can for sure vote them out. We can pick different lawmakers that more closely represent our needs and desires. But yeah, when it comes to talking with friends or family members that aren't there yet, well, let's let's hold that with a little humility. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, another lot, news. Yeah, a lot going on. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the Democratic Party, yeah. it's, it's not working for everybody. Oh. <laughs> Senator Kristen Sinema is leaving the Democratic Party and registering as an independent. Joining the Bernie Sanders and Senator King category as uh, independents who caucus with the Democrats and joining the, uh, the Senator Murkowski, and I think there might be another Republican, uh, who are independents and caucus with the Republicans, Kirsten Sinema has decided that she doesn't want to be on this in this club anymore. Uh, she wants to see herself uh, as not uh, working with that party in, in her political work. She'll do she'll do some other things. In all, I, I saw her work or statements on all this. I get it from her vantage point that she's somebody who wants to be. I, I just think it's it, it makes it makes little difference and makes little sense to me about why people do this. Um, I, I I'm I'm a party political party person only as an act of practicality, right? Mm-hmm. In, in other words, your role as a senator, or if you're in the House, your role as a House member at the federal level is that you have to be in one of the two operating political parties for the work that you do and when you decide to uh, align yourself for control of the House or for control of the Senate. Now, people might not know this or understand sort of how it works, but because in the the current situation we have two primary parties, you have to align yourself with one or the other. You don't have a chance as a senator to simply say, "I don't caucus with the Republicans or the or the Democrats." I mean, I guess technically you could. Um, I don't know. I actually don't know how. I, I don't know what what meaning that. <laughs> I don't know what meaning that would have. So Kirsten Cinema is going to be still functioning as Bernie Sanders and as Senator King does uh, from from Maine and from New Hampshire. Uh, they're they're not Democrats either, right? They're stated independents who are not members of the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. So is Kirsten, but Bernie Sanders ran as the, you know, seeking the nomination of the Democratic Party to be president (laughs) of the United States Uh, and caucuses with them and serves on the committees with them. Mm -hmm. And when the Democrats all get together in that function, so it's some functions and not others. And um, this is why I'm not an advocate for big push on third parties are going to solve our problem because ultimately, as long as we have a Senate and the House that has 
two dominant parties, no matter what political party you've run with or under or what banner or what group you ran your campaign in association with, you're going to end up with Democrats or Republicans when it comes to Democrats and Republicans counting up how many people are part of their group, which is going to determine who has control of the House, has control of the Senate, mm -hmm. which has all kinds of power that goes along with it. Now, you can always vote. You, you don't have to vote with them. You, you, you could say, I'm part of the Democratic caucus as a senator and never once vote the same way the rest of the people in your caucus do. You don't get Which is kicked out for that. what you know? uh, Kristen Sinema has done. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, she's actually, it's funny to hear the people now who are uh, other senators being like, look, she's been a major workhorse for us on issues that have really mattered to us. Uh, not on all of them, mm -hmm. but on, but on enough of them. So I, you know, I, I don't know. She's trying to fill that like Arizona independent maverick, John McCain category thing. And, um, so yeah, is this just I an, like an eye theory, roll of like, but, okay, I get it. Yeah. Well, Hey, uh, we, uh, we want to get to, uh, Mike Pence, but to get to Mike Pence first, we got to go through Trump and uh, it has been, uh, just a wild couple weeks for, for Donald Trump. Uh, on the screen, we have just a bunch of headlines in case you've missed some of it. Um, you know, Trump Mar-a-Lago suit ends after the former president declines to appeal yeah. the ruling. So that's moving forward against him. Uh, the Justi Justice Department uh, is demanding Trump team attest all documents marked classified have been returned. Uh, so they're still going after these. Oh, they found, they found two more documents yeah, in a storage more, facility. More secret, <laughs> top secret classified documents. I mean, this guy. <laughs> and then you add into all that. Dumb. I don't know if he's trying to distract from those woes, but he's like, you know what'll do it? What'll grab the headlines? I'll have some anti-Semites over for dinner. So he had Kanye West and uh, Nick Fuentes, this you know avowed white nationalist, uh, over for dinner, and uh, then has also called for suspending the Constitution, the parts that don't don't allow him to just keep being president. So just uh, it, a lot going on. It's it's truly something. It it is it is as if after, now that he's not the president or a viable presidential candidate, which he has been since 2015, you know, until uh, he left office, he always then all of his nuttiness and stupidity and dumb things that he says and sloppy behavior and and ways that are non-presidential always were covered by the things you get to do as president and all the all the pomp and circumstance and power that you have as a president. So then he could pass a law or he could move something or his opinion mattered because it was the opinion of the president of the United States. And it was all kind of covered by that role. Now that that's not the role, he's just a lawless criminal that behaves <laughs> in ways that from his business that was found guilty of tax yep. evasion to his own behavior uh, while he was president being now under criminal investigation around January 6th and the insurrection that was caused there and the, the, the actual you know, sedition that, that he participated in all the way through to keeping the documents, to interfering in elections. Now he's just a criminal. And for all the people in my life who say to me all the time, like, look, this is all just a witch hunt and everything else. Mm -hmm. What possible sense would it make for the government, whether it's the state of New York, the state of Georgia, the Justice Department, to spend all these resources on just going after Trump? 
You know why they're going after him? Because he's committed all of these offenses. <laughs> That's why yeah. the guy, I mean, we, we've never been easy on Trump around here because he doesn't deserve it. But he's actually incredibly proficient at being a criminal. Like he has, the, the number of crimes so much he can crime commit in, such a in one time. week is just incredible. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was busy, you know, interfering with Ukraine's uh, acquiring of the defenses that they needed and got impeached for that. At the same time, was still running the Russian collusion. At the same time, was still doing the cover-ups of these things, was beginning to interfere in an election and was starting to, you know, down, downgrade our democracy. Boy, you know, uh, I used to say he was just lazy, but but I don't no, think I can call him lazy anymore. He yeah. is, he's a he's a busy criminal. <laughs> uh, the man the man is something else, which is why when someone like Mike Pence threw his weight behind, which was sizable, threw his weight behind uh, Donald Trump and told all of the people who supported the kind of politician that Mike Pence was that Donald Trump is a person I'll stand with and you should stand with him too, especially to the evangelical Christians and conservative Catholics who supported. Mike Pence and therefore supported Donald Trump. Uh, Mike Pence saying yes to being the vice president in the summer of uh, 2016 was the major push that jumped uh, Trump over the shark and got him to the point where uh, these religious people supported him. So he has so much to uh, thank Mike Pence for that. And now that Mike Pence is uh, seemingly uh, aggressively running for president himself. And Mike Pence is out saying it in his own words. He's written a book called uh, So Help Me God, oh, which just, uh, yeah, I know, uh, I know. But you know, that is in the oath of office. When you, when you place your hand on whatever you choose to place it on and you say the oath of office, they end it in So Help Me God. Just one of the things as a religious person, I think maybe we should remove that from our, from our uh, you know, demanded legal... Uh, statements, yeah. uh, and I know a lot of places they're not, but I think oath, oaths of office still still include that, <laughs> still include that part. So that's where Mike Pence draws it from, right? Is the oath, the yeah. oath that he's taken, and the the oath around all this stuff. So, are we done with Donald Trump? Should we talk about Mike Pence for a bit? Yeah, I think so. We uh, we covered a lot of Trump on Tuesday politics. Me and Rob. Oh, he did. Okay, but there's going to be more next Tuesday too. So <laughs> sure will get all you want. Uh, hey, and, uh, and, and Rufino and Bonnie and Kimberly and Clint and all of you in the chat. Thanks. Thanks for all that. Really, really adding a lot. If friends, if you're in watching this on a platform, you don't see that we put this out on multiple platforms at a time. So sometimes we talk to people who are on Facebook or on Twitter or on YouTube. YouTube is our preference. So if you're not watching this on YouTube and you're watching anywhere else, go over to YouTube and watch it over there. Lots of reasons that matters to us. So you know, if that matters to you, uh, go ahead and do it over on YouTube. Uh, all right. So here's, here's, uh, okay. So Mike Pence did this interview with uh, David Axelrod. By the way, David Axelrod's uh, podcast called The Axe Files is really a, it's, it's a good, it's a really good, solid political podcast if you're, if you're into that kind of thing. He often does them live in front of an audience uh, where he runs a center at the University of Chicago. If you don't know who David Axelrod is, he was one of the prime strategists behind uh, Barack Obama's uh, political life and uh, has been a lifetime you know, uh, uh, worker in the uh, political system. He also has a podcast he does with, with two, other, two other people called Hacks on Tap. So they call themselves Political Hacks as a badge of honor. So David Axelrod is one of those people. He's a political operative and, and all the rest of this. Um, and because some of these people are in politics so deep as David Axelrod is, they get it, right? They're, they're like 
truly professional politicians that are not just, they're driven by their, their commitment and their, to causes and to outcomes and they believe in America and they have a view and all this stuff, all political sides. But they're also like, we've been around the block. We've seen a few things. We get each other, you know. They, mm -hmm. So there's a level of professionalism and respect that happens there. So David Axelrod will often have people on his podcast and in conversations with that he has known for decades, has worked against their political interests and against their political success for decades, but has them in conversation and understands them and listens to them deeply. And so that's the case with Mike Pence here. He even says in the introduction to this podcast that he's known of Mike Pence and known Mike Pence for decades and took away from the conversation he had with him a week or so ago, a new level of appreciation for, for Mike Pence. Hmm. I listened to the podcast. I didn't leave with a greater <laughs> sense of that. I don't know. Maybe I started further down the line and now Axelrod and I are at the same place. I don't know, but I didn't leave feeling better about the man. Uh, I just It was just exactly as I anticipated that that it would be. Um, and I can see why certain people really like Mike Pence and feel really, really positive about about Mike Pence. A lot of things are discussed, and and I would I would suggest if anyone wants to understand the mindset of the kinds of conservatives, especially on issues including judges and border and taxes, listening to Mike Pence and his own words in this podcast are are useful and worthwhile. So they're reflecting on the book that uh, Mike Pence has written. I haven't listened to the book or read it, so I don't know what's in there other than the multiple interviews with Mike Pence that I've watched. It's been, I don't know, a lot. I've watched a dozen or so kind of interviews with Mike Pence because I think Mike Pence's perspective is going to frame the Republican perspective in the 2024 mm -hmm. campaign. Now, whether or not he's the candidate, which I don't think he should be or will be, um, he's staking out a perspective that will be carried by a lot of people. Um, so it's important to to know and understand understand that. In some ways, Mike Pence, as the most Trumpiest supporter of them all, like his right-hand person and his, his, his continued devotion to the man is, is <laughs> unshaken. Um, he's not very Trumpy in that sense, you know, in the sense of like being like him. He's the, he's the op opposite temp temperamentally. And, mm -hmm. uh, and one of Mike Pence's big things, and this is where this part of the interview comes up, is Mike Pence believes that the most important things in American civilization and the most important things in our American politics is civility. So he really says this, really believes in it, and it ma makes it his primary operating uh, framework. Uh, I would like to suggest to him that the common good ought to be his, his operating framework, um, and a part of that is... Uh, uh, civility. Civility is a part of the common good, but uh, something even uh, precedes just being uh, being civil and so on. And that's, that's making the world better for all of us, as opposed to making it more conservative in its leaning. And you'll hear him talk about his conservative uh, commitments just in this little clip that we're, that we're going to play. So David Axelrod uh, pushes him. It's uh, 15 minutes into, into the interview, which runs an hour. And the first, in the first 15 minutes, he basically says, look, you, you're all about civility. The man who you uh, were <laughs> vice president for, uh, he says something like, whatever's going to be on his epitaph, Donald Trump, that is, whatever's going to be his epitaph, being civil is probably not going to be one of those. <laughs> so how do you reconcile that? This And he gives a list of examples before he asks this question, I think from the section that we're going to play here of the interview. Then you're going to hear Mike Pence uh, kick in and uh, 
start describing a few things and then we'll spend a little time with Mike Pence's ideas here. So, so here's the warning. Uh, this might be the only time we play this, but we may have to, I don't know, may get all angsty and feel like we have to go back and play a bit again, just to, <laughs> just to tell yourself what you just heard. But all right, here's my, here's David Axelrod and Mike Pence. Here we go. Let me, let me ask you the elephant in the room question, which is, I'm sure that you believe that. I know you wrote a piece back when you ran for Congress called uh, Confessions of a Negative Campaigner. I could probably write a similar piece called Producer of Negative Ads. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but you worked for and with a president yeah. who, whatever his epitaph is, the word civility is not likely to be included. Um, so, uh, and that must, I'm, I'm wondering what you, you know, I read this book cover to cover and I enjoyed Thank reading you. it, but the, Thank you. I'm but the, the thing that was noteworthy to me, one of the things that was noteworthy to me was how much you went out of your way to explain, you know, sort of intemperance to, or omit incidents of intemperance, but they were there. And that sort of defined our politics in a way. And, you know, every action causes a reaction and so on. Did you ever talk to him and say, uh, dude, let's bring it down a level? <laughs> <laughs> Gee, look at the time. I, uh, <laughs> no, look, David, look. Um, uh, president Trump was not only my president. Uh, he was my friend. But we're very different people. Um, and, you know, I, I know that many people wondered how someone who had committed their career to civility yep. Yep. Uh, could partner with someone with a much more confrontational yep. approach to politics. Yep. And uh, I accept that. It's a fair question. But it's just because people didn't understand our sense of calling. When when I got the phone call to whether I would be willing to be considered to be added to the ticket, it was something Karen and I, as we always do, took to prayer. We talked with our kids about it, and we spent some time with them as a family. But I, I must tell you, with great respect, uh, but the the direction the country was headed after eight years of the Obama administration, I thought uh, if eight more years in that direction occurred, uh, that... Uh, that it would take the country in a place that was not consistent with my aspirations and ideals about about uh, about the country, about limited government, about free market economics, about about the ideals and values that I was raised to believe in. And so, I my question was if I if I could help the country go back to the things that I think make America strong and prosperous, uh, I was determined to do it. And um, and we ultimately said yes without hesitation to join the ticket. And, but for me, that sense of calling was, my calling was to help President Trump be successful in the presidency that the American people elected him to lead. And, uh, and that, I think, was both the content that I heartily endorsed, um, about rebuilding our military, reviving the economy with tax cuts, conservatives on our courts, but also, it was a style, and I respected that style. And it, it, it came ultimately from my respect for the American people, that the American people had chosen him to be the president. My job, in humility, was to simply support him in the presidency that he was elected to advance. And uh, that came from my faith in the American people, and it also, it also came from my faith that, that uh, 
that providence guides this nation. And uh, as the Bible says, that uh, um, you know, he, he raises up leaders, and I believe he has in the course of this nation, leaders that you've served, leaders that I've served. All right. Okay. <clears throat> so there so it is. That's, there. Oh, so I just, I've listened to it multiple times. Uh, it's really thick as Mike Pence's conversations often, often are like his, just his style is, um, he's a club sandwich. Uh, you look like, like, like Donald Trump is a, is a hot chip, you know, like if you're, when you're having snacks, uh, or lunch, he's just a chip. It's just, He's thin. It's what you get. It's all spicy. That's it. Mike Pence style is like a club sandwich, right? Where it's bread and then a little meat and then some cheese and then some sort of uh, uh, vegetables, you know, lettuce or tomato. Then another piece of bread. Then maybe an egg and then some more cheese. And there, and there, it's all it's all in there. Right? I'm literally describing my lunch uh, at the resort that I had uh, about four days ago. A great club sandwich at Vidanta. What, what I mean by that is Mike Pence lays into a paragraph or into two minutes, like a series of things, right? It's very, there's so much there and you kind of have to pull these pieces apart to figure out what, what he's talking about. So we're, we're going we're gonna to do that. We're going to deconstruct the club sandwich that is Mike Pence. Uh, yeah, because in the, hiding in, in there are some really, I think, fairly <laughs> disturbing ideas like... That you just go along with this because that's what the American people elected. Yeah. That they elected a style. They elected a uh, just yeah. yeah. Let's start. Let, let's start there because I, what when I was listening to this and thought, okay, we're bringing this onto the podcast. It was that line that you just brought up here where he said, "Look, I I, I realized that um, I wanted to support the presidency the American people uh, voted for, which included content and style." So let's pause there for a minute. Like you can see what he's doing, right? He's saying like there's two sides to the thing that people wanted. They and, and that's true. People do almost always vote more even so for the style than they do for the content. They, in other words, they vote more for the person than they do for the policies. This is just generally true. So people might stay in their in their in their lanes of their party. So they're only going to vote for independents or Green Party members if you're the in the Kirsten Cinema or Bernie Sanders wing, or you're only going to vote for Democrats or Republicans or something. So, sure. But when you ask them why they're motivated by this, it's almost always something about the style of the party, the style of the person. It really matters to people. So th that's true, right? People do this. What gets me with Mike Pence, though, is that he's trying to suggest that what David Axelrod is asking about and what's infuriated and, and, and uh, threatened so many people in the United States is simply Donald Trump's confrontational style. <laughs> he, he's not confront, it's not a confrontational style people have a problem with. There's a lot of politicians that have a, a confrontational style, right? I mean, independent Bernie Sanders as a very confrontational style, mm -hmm. but he's not a, he's, he's, he's not insulting people. He's not rude. He's not demeaning them. Right. He's not, he's not subclass like any of this stuff, right? That's confrontational style or like, I'm going to take up a strong position. I'm going to put my position as opposed to your position. And we're going to have a clash of ideas and we're going to get, you can do that all you want. 
You could even be a little gruff. Nobody's like, oh, wow, boy, I, you know, I just don't want my president to ever like hurt someone's feelings. Oh, good grief. That's not what people are talking about. Right. Barack Obama had a very confrontational style. You know, he was very, you know, very direct and uh, was willing to challenge uh, people and, and be very confrontational. But he wasn't rude and he wasn't unkind and right. all the rest of this. So Mike Pence trying to wrap that what Axelrod is getting at. And the reason I'm going on and on about this is because if you listen for another three minutes, Axelrod pushes back on that a bit. And then, of course, Mike Pence does the both sides-ism. Well, you know, both sides really were uh, being a little, you know, they started the Russia investigation against us and they were really after us the whole time. And like, again, confrontation in politics is what it's about. It's the competing of ideas, right? right. It's, a con it's a contact sport, but it's not cheap and it's not cheating and it's not uh, it's the not same being thing. being a bully. It's not being yes. hateful. It's not making fun of people with disabilities. <laughs> yes. It's not giving nicknames to the people who work for you or are your opponents that are derogatory. Yeah, it's not quote-unquote locker room talk. I mean, good grief, Mike Pence. This is not what people are, are talking about. So so that gets me, right, that what Pence is then trying to do is basically to say, look, he's uh, he's uh, he's not only my president, he's my friend, and uh, we're very different people, and we all like to have friends that are different. He's just a guy I like to, you know, I like to be, be with on Friday nights, but I, I don't want to spend a Wednesday morning with him. You know, like this kind of guy. And we all have friends like that, you know, right? So fair enough. That's not what anybody's problem with Donald Trump is. <laughs> That's not what we're... And the fact that these people are trying to pitch it as that is infuriating. Mm -hmm. Secondly, on this business about what did the American people vote for, we have spent a lot of time in our organization asking people who've supported Trump as religious, religiously identifying people what got you to support him in the beginning and what caused you not to support him ultimately, you know, in 2020 uh, election? What I heard over and over in all this work is I thought that once he became president, that the clown show and the circus act and all the stuff he did to be an attractive TV show candidate was all going to be set aside for him then to be president in a really different way. And my trust in that, these people have said to me, was the people he put around him. And they would, and they'll often say this, like, he's going to get the very best people and they're going to be around him and they're going to reflect our values. Some of those people include, for many, Mike Pence. And many conservative Catholics and conservative evangelicals have said, Mike Pence was my gateway of trust to Donald Trump. That Donald Trump picked him tells me that he recognized our community of people in the United States and that Mike Pence said yes to Donald Trump meant that Mike Pence knew something about Trump that I didn't know and I'm going to trust him. In other words, you know, Mike Pence was a TikTok influencer to these folks, right? <laughs> He's somebody that they uh, that they uh, would, would put their, um, their uh, confidence in. So he's a confidence man. That's, you know, we, we have that phrase in our, in our society. It's often shortened as many things are, to con man. Yeah. So Mike Pence is the confidence man bringing this group of people to Donald Trump. So when Mike Pence says, what I was felt my responsibility to be was to support the style that the American people voted for. Well, there were 10 million people, Mike, who voted for your style, 
who said, you're the kind of person that I'm willing to trust and follow. I promise you this, had Mike Pence, had Mike Pompeo, had Betsy DeVos, had any of the evangelicals who were ultimately in the cabinet and the administration of Donald Trump, had those people said publicly, I was asked to serve and I just can't serve with this man because I find that he doesn't meet the values that are important to me and are significant, that would have kept those people from voting for Donald Trump. They didn't vote for Donald Trump. Now, I'm not talking about the 80% of people who voted for Donald Trump. I'm just saying there's this sliver of people that gave him the presidency because he won it by a squeaker that voted for Donald Trump because they trusted in your style. So this idea that now Mike Pence is saying when he's standing behind Trump with that smirk on his face all the time or having to just basically come out and say, he's still my guy when he said, I think we should consider pouring bleach into people's lungs. Maybe that could get rid of COVID. <laughs> Which is still one of the things I hope he, we never forget that he was a man who uh, you know stood at the at the presidential podium and said in the White so House I was, briefing so, room. So I was asking Dr. Burks over here. Do you do you think it's possible we could pour the pour the bleach in? Not, yeah. Because I've heard that like bleach works on the counters, right? And so could we disinfect their lungs with the bleach? Is there is there is could could we do or this? Can we just shine light? What is <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, I mean, just basic misunderstanding of biology uh, and, 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 and chemistry. People didn't vote for that level of incompetence. They didn't vote for the cruelty. They didn't vote for the, for the uh, complete disregard to civility that you said Mike Pence is so important. So this is the thing. When you, just listening to, to former Vice President Pence say, I felt like my job was to trust the American people that this is the person they picked. That's just, you can't have that opinion and be in politics the way he, in other words, you, he can't honestly believe that. If I, if I were in that interview and I'll send you know, his, his publisher an invitation to come on the podcast because I'd like to just ask him about this. Do you truly think that the American people only picked his style? You don't think there were people that also picked your style? That because now he wants to go around. You heard him say it. What I trust about the Pence or about the Trump Pence administration, right? So he's moving because on the ballot it was vote for you know on the campaign it was Pence and Trump, mm -hmm. and there were a lot of people who came through Trump. So this idea that that's how it goes. Okay, I, I got another rattle off on something else. Do you have, <laughs> do you have anything to say about that? Because I am I am I am roided up here. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable the level of like. Who's he trying to fool? Is he trying to convince himself that yeah. what he did was right for four years? Like he stood by and let just horrible decision after horrible decision yes. happen. And never, even now after, you know, yes. the January 6th mob erected a gallows enchanted <laughs> hang Mike Pence and Trump hung him out to dry, said, yeah. said Mike, oh, Mike, you didn't get it done. Said, go get him. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. still stands behind Trump and won't even like the start of that that segment we did where he's like, oh, oh we're out of time. I can't even say yeah. that he's a little like <laughs> Boy, I can't even tell you about why I didn't say that he was acting in bad ways. Yeah, no, unbelievable, unbelievable, right? So part of this is Mike Pence's understanding of what a vice president is, where some presidents want a strong vice president that will speak out against what the president thinks. And, you know, you think of Joe Biden going on to the news program, the one that's on NBC with, uh, it's not, it's not this, uh, anyway, uh, 
what was the, what was the news program that that uh, meet the press? Meet the press. Uh, it was Joe Biden because uh, I watch it nearly every week. Uh, I saw this way back when Joe Biden, as vice president, went on Meet the Press and said, "I think we need to change gay marriage laws in this country and and make it possible for people to get married." Remember this, and got out in front of Obama, mm-hmm. and then it just blew open. And this bill that was signed yesterday that we talked about roots back to that. Joe Biden, as vice president, took leadership, and Obama's like, Joe, don't get out in front of me on this. All right, Mr. President, you know, I, okay, you know, I get it. But his role was not simply to stand back, mm-hmm. say all the bad things that need to be said about Dick Cheney's role as vice president. His job wasn't to stand back and just be quiet and support the guy. It was to push forward to make sure that the uh, approach of the administration was full and complete, that you were a contributor and not a cheerleader to it. Mm-hmm. And so this, this idea that thing. there's this never... leadership is just maddening. Yeah, that there's never a line in the sand where you say like, okay, now, even though I view my role as to humbly support this yes. guy, this crosses a line and I have to speak up or yes. this... And there was never any evidence that they were having conversations behind the scenes. Yes. And even when uh, you know, David Axelrod asks him, like, oh, he's my friend. and Yeah, yeah. Did, did you ever go to him? And the answer could have been, look, David, I, I spent you know five years with this guy. We were together a lot. We talked about a lot of things. Uh, we talked about a lot of this. Uh, uh, right. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's, oh boy, look at the time. <laughs> I can't get into that. Okay, now that just might be a chosen style of diversion and so on and how you're going to... He's got a plan for how he's going to answer all these questions. The guy's on a book tour, right? And starting to run for president. So he's yeah. slotting out a staged canned response for every style of question. That's what you do in this kind of work. That's that's how you frame... That's how you get yourself ready. You just have little cues in your brain about what your style of response is going to be. Are you going to get serious? Are you going to get jokey? Are you going to avoid? Are you going to go right in? Mm-hmm. Are you going to say that's a good question? Or are you going to say, you know, I think the better question, like that's all the stuff you do, right? That's just what professionals do when they're interacting in, in interview interview formats. But what he didn't have for his trigger of, did you ever confront the president about his behavior was you know, that's a really important question. And of course, we, we talked about a lot of things and there were a number of times where I was really uncomfortable. They, they could have said that, yeah. but he didn't say that. Instead, he makes a club sandwich of saying <laughs> things that include, you know, limited government and free markets and the military and and the courts. When you listen back to it, you're like, he's just laying in all the little buzzwords for the Republican superstructure to be like, there's the words that make me feel safe again. There we go. Now I'm Now I feel like uh, he's talking about the things that matter to me. But Curiously, my, what didn't matter to him was doing the right the thing. Char- or, yes, <laughs> the character of the man. And my question is, what audience does this impress? Like, does this hmm. impress Republicans? Yeah. That he was such a yes. like pushover and like spineless and not able to stand up for his own convictions and beliefs. Yeah. This guy should now be in charge? Like what? Yeah, and and st- I mean, to this day, well, till uh, two weeks ago, when he was asked if Donald Trump is the nominee of the party, uh, w- will you vote for him? Which is the question you know that people should be asking, uh, and, and he still said, "I don't think that's going to be our. He's going to be our only choice." Like, couldn't even then say, "You know what? I've 
um, I've not, I, I'm not a never Trumper, obviously. I was in the administration, but I'm a not again Donald Trumper, right? Which is what a lot of Republicans are now saying. Mm -hmm. I'm not, a, I'm not, I wasn't a never Trumper, but I am now a not again Donald Trump. It's a nice transition, gets you out of it, moves you forward, and just says, yeah, no, there's, uh, I, he just cannot be the, yeah. uh, the standard bearer of the party. I've watched it all. I've been there, I've been up close. It's what he believes. Because if he didn't believe it, he wouldn't be out running for right. president when the other guy's running for president. Yeah. Um, right? He clearly uh, thinks he, Donald Trump should not be the president again. Yes. Yes. Because he's running for the same job. Yeah. But he won't say it. He won't. He still he, wants, he, like, he wants his cake yeah. and wants to eat, and it, eat too. it too. And, and then he frames it in this category of a sense of calling because oh, way back at the beginning Marth. of that, that question, the response was, well, I can understand. And, and granted, now Mike Pence is gracious. That, that kind of style feels sacrimonious to me and doesn't feel truly gracious, but maybe he is. And he's just, he's just awkward. I felt similarly about Al Gore, actually, like mm -hmm. when Al Gore would say things that I think were sincere, it didn't feel like it because of his affect, you yeah, know, the way demeanor, he, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like, I don't think real people, well, honey, I, of course, I love you. I love you with all my heart. You know, like, I don't think I believe you. Uh, when it you just feels just, like they're reading from a script that they didn't write. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, in their, it's just in their brain. Uh, and and uh, he, so he was asked um, and framed it as, well, there's this confrontational style and then said, you know, what people don't understand about why would someone like me who thinks that civility is important hook up with somebody who has confrontation as their style? You didn't understand our sense of calling. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's religious terminology. Some people listen to this podcast will recognize that. Other people might not, or they might not see that as a true trigger word or as a as a little a hot link on on a, in an article that, you know, when those uh, words are underlined and you can click on them and it takes you off to other information. Um you didn't understand our sense of calling, that's a little hot link. You can yep. click on that and that'll take you into a whole world of understanding about how the world works. And for him, it was, there's a, something more, we can set aside Donald Trump's affect to accomplish something that we think is truly important. Okay, so that's that was the bargain that he made. What he refused to say in this interview is, I have some buyer's remorse about that. Yeah. It didn't go. It didn't go the way I wanted it to. We, because this, I, I don't regret of, everything, but I kind of wish I hadn't hadn't bought that one. Yeah. What's the point of you know selling your soul for a seat at the table if you never use that power See, and influence? Yeah. To further your actual values, I mean, other than like the Supreme Court justices thing, which Pence didn't have anything to do with. No, like he doesn't. Right. He doesn't pick him. I, I doubt Trump asked him. Like, <laughs> yeah, pretty sure. Pretty sure Trump didn't ask ask uh, uh, Mike Pence about anything. I'm pretty sure he was not an empowered. Uh, he yeah. was not an empowered candidate uh, or, or vice president uh, at, at all. Um, <laughs> and and his sense of calling was. Did you hear this part? Uh, could you pick up on it where he said, after eight years of the Obama administration, I thought another four years or another eight years would have sent the country in a you know, totally unrecognizable way. Mm -hmm. Okay, look, a lot of people thought that about the Obama years. In fact, you know, Obama's approval ratings, to people like us, and maybe listen to this podcast or watch the stream, they think very highly of Obama. 
A lot of people. Obama's you know numbers barely ever got above fifty percent. Like he was just not held in high esteem by everyone. E even to this day, uh, it's it's sort of the case. He moves a lot of Democrats, but you know there's a lot of people who just and they didn't like his policies and they're sort of against him. I, I was supportive of most all of what he did and frustrated by some stuff he didn't mm -hmm. do. There was little that Obama did, short of, and this is a big caveat. Drone warfare. Drone, <laughs> drone, war, <laughs> drone warfare. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah. You know, I am, my moral conscience was still a little pricked by the drone warfare on weddings. Right. Um, and uh, his deportation work yep. around, around the border. I didn't agree with that, like it, in opposition to him to this very day about that. And I don't know about, I assume you were as well, but I was vocal about the things I didn't like about the Imam administration. That's yeah. that seems to be the difference between a lot of totally uh, like Trumpian like they yeah. cannot speak ill of the great leader, whereas I, yeah. I don't know, a lot of people felt very free to say to Obama like this isn't it yeah do better yeah look man I I, I ran a radio show on this uh, progressive radio station here in Minneapolis. Uh, um, the progressive talk of Minnesota. So it was stately a progressive radio station. And there was a point where I was going on about Obama golfing all the time because he really did <laughs> actually. And it was, you know, during the economic crisis, right? Things have been crashing. And, and I just said, look, I, I'm not saying he should take every rule, every hint from George Bush. But when the war was on, Bush was like, I'm not playing golf. I'm giving yeah. it up. I'm just, you know, if I've got some extra, if I've got that time, I'm going to make my workouts short and I'm going to get back to work because there's people, you know, fighting for the United States. Right. In a war situation. And I was like, I think that's what should be going on during this economic crisis. Like all of it. There's a lot of people who lost their jobs and can't go golf. Like it just is a thing. Like mm -hmm. I grew up playing golf. I like golf, whatever. It's, you would not have believed the torrent of responses to saying really? in a progressive radio station that Barack Obama golfs too much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, how it taught me you? a lot. It taught me a lot about how the powers that be will just come crashing down on like, don't weaken this person. Why are you yeah, being petty? Yeah. All, these are microaggressions. These are micro cracks. You're weakening like... No, I'm saying I think the guy should stop doing what he's doing and start doing something else. And if you can't say that about the person you support, right? where are we? And then you end up eight years later with Trump and all this nonsense. So when people are like, why won't people speak up? Why don't they say something? I'm like, oh, I know why. I just ran a little, you know, two hour radio show on a progressive mm -hmm. station. And the truckload of crap that rolls down on you is unbelievable. Right. Um, so I know I get it. I, I am not saying that it's easy for a politician or for a vice president to speak at, at all. I totally. But now at this point, you're beyond it, Mike. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're the guy, out of the woods. You don't have to. I lost the presidential election two years ago. He can't hurt <laughs> you anymore, Mike. <laughs> it You're just free. Really, just be free. Yeah, be free to be you and me, Mike. Uh, uh, let's go back and watch that little, uh, you know, little uh, PBS special. So, so Mike Pence believing, you know, that look, if the country keeps on this path, and as uh, uh, somebody popped in the chat here, I saw they said they think it's about. I think they think it's about race with Obama. Is, is Obama's uh, race is a 
as a black man. I think that's true. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I think that's the kind of thing that was really, really troubling for a lot of conservatives. And I think for a lot of them, some of that was on the surface and so much of it was in the background and they couldn't even differentiate one, one piece from the other. Um, so anyway, so, so, so what, 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 what good is this, right? Other than picking on Mike Pence. Well, it's not really about picking on Mike Pence. It's about a window into so many people who think these same things. And there are so many people who the story they tell themselves is, here's how I'm the hero. Mm -hmm. My job was to support this, that, and the other thing. And what we need to do is get rid of the hero, villain, victim narratives altogether so we can approach the world a little bit more honestly, right? And not just say, yeah, you know, 25 years ago, I was really too negative, And now I, I think civility matters. No, it's, it's with every step, you sort of make an adjustment. And after four years of being the vice president to this guy, Mike Pence should have said things that a lot of Americans are feeling, which is, yeah, in all honesty, the judges and all this, I, I, I wanted all that. Maybe I would have even said, yeah, uh, I, I, if, if I looked at it all in retrospect, I would still, for the outcomes that I believe we got, which I think Trump got almost no outcomes at all other than the, the Supreme Court, which is a big one. They would have looked at it and said, yeah, I would have been, I would have done it again. I'd, I'd rebuy that. I'd rebuy that meal. You know, it's, it's like having a really great meal and then getting food poisoning later that night. And about a week later, you're like, but the meal was, was pretty, pretty great. Good. And the food poisoning only lasted 20 hours. So I, <laughs> I, I might eat it again. I, I don't know. I might, I, I might, right? Okay, fair enough. You As know, a dog I, I returns to its vomit, so the fool returns to <laughs> Repeats his folly, the old, as the old proverb says. So, so yeah, that, I mean, that, I get it. People might say that, but that's an honest response, right? Instead, what I hear from people all the time is, oh, what, you just didn't like how he tweeted? Like, re really? You think you think that's it? You think all this, like, cover-up and all this um, uh, witch hunting of using the federal and criminal system, go get Trump, is because people didn't like his tweets? You, you really think that? I mean, it's not. It's not that. It, and it's really not just the policies, even though I think the Trump policies were the worst in the Trump's, uh, you know, at every cabinet level. I can't think of a cabinet level that uh, position that that the choices made were not an anathema to what I think America should do. Totally 100% opposed to the Trump administration policies and would be glad to go through them. So yeah, I despise them on the policy level. But that's just normal politics. That's that's how you do it. That's not what people are in opposition to Donald yeah, Trump this about. This wasn't politics as usual. And I think what's no. interesting about this Pence interview is I can see this as how other people on the religious right will try to get off the hook for all of Trump's bad policies mm -hmm. and behavior. Like, well, we were just trying to be faithful to the calling. To yeah. The, you know, yeah. God's man of the moment and sort of distance themselves from the person of Trump while also claiming victory for yeah. whatever things. Uh, yes. It's, and, and it, again, the calling language to a lot of people, they know how that gets used. Don't speak up. Don't tell the truth. Don't whistle blow. Don't stop great leaders yeah. because your job is to support your job is to, you, you said yes, so don't turn back on that. Mm -hmm. Like it's all faithfulness, well done, good and, good and faithful servant, and all this stuff. how toxic leaders end up in positions of power in the church too. Like all these mega church pastors that end up being horrible people. Like 
It's 100%. because they're, they're God's chosen person. And who are you yep. to look at all the good they've done for the kingdom? There's all this yes. kingdom language. and Yes. Yeah. Look, look at all the good. And again, if we could not live in such a binary world where good and evil are in hundred percent opposition to each other and clear and clearly definable. Someone can say, no, look, I get it. A lot of good things happen. And this stuff, this isn't part of that. This is not the good stuff that I'm supportive of. This is the problem. Can we fix, can't we fix this? And instead it becomes all in one side or the other. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're hearing from Mike Pence is basically his view of the world is that Providence brought Donald Trump to the White House, which that whole thing, I just can't even wrap my, and at least he was gracious enough to say, Providence brought about leaders that you've worked for, David, and leaders that I served with. So he's equalizing it. But then what's the point? <laughs> it's like, okay, if yeah, then so just, God just chose... skip that sentence. Don't, 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 <laughs> don't say that sentence. It would be like, like, like no one would say, and, and both of the men, you know, looked under the same moon. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that's just one of the, okay. So if Providence is just leaders are picked by God, which the Bible don't say and isn't true, it's not how it works. The um, Bible does say the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Yeah. Yeah. It does say, <laughs> that it does seems say to be more accurate. <laughs> yeah. That's more the way it works. Um, I mean, because what you're going to pick your, like, uh, you know, your, your ruling dictator that got there by violent coup and killing of thousands. That was all the hand of God. Was that one or, or, or the free election is the free election. The one where, you know, people <laughs> right. pick which, okay. Yeah. So we're, we don't live in a kingdom. We can just stop the whole God picks people uh, for, for jobs. Yeah. Like, because you don't think that. The, of course, the people saying that don't actually believe that. <laughs> you don't think that. Stop saying things you don't think. Uh, yeah, it's that's a great point. You actually, they actually don't don't think it. Um, well, I'll tell you. I'm, I mean, Mike Pence. Uh, I, I have followed Mike Pence since he was just a lowly uh, congressman in Indiana. Um, because anybody who makes the rounds on the you know, kind of pops above the fray in politics. There's a lot of politicians, a lot of representatives, you know, there's 400 and some in the house and a hundred of them, they're senators. And most of them, you don't even know, right? You might not even know the people in your own state. <laughs> so if you know someone as a politician, there's a reason, you know, who that person is, that doesn't happen by accident. They're doing something. So Mike Pence popped up long ago, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago. And and then he was the governor of the state that you know maybe where were you living in Indiana when he was the governor? I moved right about 2016, so he was just wrapping up as wrapping governor. up. And, and someone he, in the chat said he oh. totally ruined Indiana. <laughs> yeah, so he was there for he the was, aftermath. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. So this guy has been, and he is an uh, of the school of conservatives that so many of the religious people not only because of his own faith and finding that personal connection that people have, but because the way that he governed and the things he said were important were just right down the middle of what has made those conservative uh, Christians uh, buy into Republicanism. Mike Pence has been a real, real standard bearer on that front. He is, he is a stalwart in that world. Um, so I've been watching that guy for a long time and it is... Um, it's not great to see this, uh, in in my view. Um, 
I mean, he, he's had a moment here. He could have gone Mitt Romney. I see some people in the chat talking about uh, Mitt Romney, maybe Kimberly and Bonnie, um, talking about Mitt Romney. And you know, Romney has said, oh, I'm not voting for the guy again. I tried to impeach him twice. Yeah. <laughs> great, great line. I tried to impeach him twice. Yeah. I'm certainly not voting for him. You're asking me? There's a space for people to do this, yeah. you know, and uh, and and it, I don't think it'll take a lot for people to make a hard shift on Trump. And if, but now at this point, it's not happening. Like now, Mike Pence can't do it. If he does it now, it's just going to look like it's just a president. You know, he's just being Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz, and then later he'll just come sucking back up yeah. and be right up, right up tight, tight and close. If if it were to yeah. if it were to ever happen. So, well, yeah. <clears throat> all right. So there's there's old Mike Pence. Yeah, what a guy. And by the way, he and, he and Axelrod at the beginning talk about how both of them are second generation immigrants from immigrant families. So mm -hmm. their, their parents were born here, but their grandparents weren't. And how immigration is so crucial to them and why it matters so much. And hearing Pence talk about what he thinks needs to happen on immigration is utterly maddening. Oh, gosh. I mean, it is, um, it's, the, it's, just, it's the thing that I think is going to be the real wedge point for people going one way or the other and and mike uh in their in their vote in 2024 and and what what pence is saying uh, i mean is just unbelievably maddening mm -hmm. he has pitched the trump administration as absolute heroes on immigration oh gosh it'll just it'll, it'll just make your head spin <laughs> um and uh and 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 unfortunately axelrod has very little you know he's like well i think we should stop demonizing immigrants and pence is like oh, okay yeah okay good. i mean but that like that's not a that's that's not enough either because democrats don't want to talk about this issue either right. so he just he just has a free lane to just walk wherever he wants as long as he just says something like yeah. immigrants are crucial to america that's enough you know and you're often you're often uh -huh. that's, the, that's the end of it uh, but it's just uh you know just border wall funding and it's just crazy business yeah. so there's a lot yeah. there if you if you you know if you haven't given enough time listening to this uh you can actually go listen <laughs> yeah, to Mike Pence and David Axelrod. Keeping <laughs> those it's the axe yeah. files with David Axelrod. All right. Well, happy Friday. Yeah. Uh we'll see everybody uh, next week. Thanks to everyone in the chat. Very active yeah. chat. Sorry we didn't get to everybody uh yeah, do we need commenting. To but Bonnie, Kimberly, Kay. Thanks for uh yeah. thanks for hanging with us. Yeah, appreciate all of you. Thanks for being a part of this. Tell your friends, family. Uh, people you don't care for so much, uh, really anybody about the podcast and about the live stream and ask them to ask them to listen with you. Yeah. All right. We'll see you. Bye. Bye.